0: Dear Heavenly Father, Father God, thank you for the chance to be here. And you know my topic, you know how, how much preparation I have done and others have done who have helped me to organize this material. And Father, you know how big this is. And I pray for the Holy Spirit We pray that you will guide me and help me to say the right things. Give me just the right words. Uh, If there are certain things that I shouldn't say, help me not to say them. And if there's other things I need to say, then give those words to me. Please guide us now. Bless the recording as this is going to go out on audio verse and people will be listening uh, possibly around the world. We pray for your blessing right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, as you can see there on the screen, my talk is called Perils of the Emerging Church. And I'd like to start out by stressing the mission of our church, which is described in the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. I believe the Bible is God's book. Revelation is the last book, and at the heart of Revelation is chapter 14, which describes three angels' messages. And let me see, are we on the Revelation slide now? You know, it's really hard for me not having a monitor. I guess we'll, I'll have to remember to do both of them at a time. All right, let's go to chapter 14. And let's take a look at the three angels just briefly. Revelation 14, verses 6 to 12. And I'm on, the, I'm on the microphone here, right? Not on this one? Is that correct? Okay, good. Revelation 14, chapter, or verses 6 to 12, describes messages that come from three angels. Verse 6 says, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell upon the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. So the first angel is a message that goes out to the whole world. It contains or is centered in the everlasting gospel. It announces that we are in an hour of judgment and it talks about the worship of the creator which ultimately points us to the seventh day Sabbath. At the end of verse 7 is actually a quote from the fourth commandment, how God made the world in six days and he rested on the seventh day. In verse eight, we have the message of the second angel that talks about Babylon and its fall and how the whole world is drunk with the wine of Babylon. Verse nine to 12 describes the message of the third angel, saying with a loud voice, warning about the beast, the image, and the mark of the beast, and then concluding in verse 12, with here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, calling on uh, apocalyptic people to become commandment keepers and to center their lives in Jesus Christ. In verses 14 to 16, there is a picture of the return of Christ. Verse 14 says, I looked and behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. So, we have in these messages a worldwide proclamation of the gospel, the judgment, the worship of the Creator, the importance of the Sabbath, the fall of Babylon and her wine, a warning about the beast, a warning about the mark of the beast, a warning about wrath and judgment to fall on those who get the mark of the beast, a lifting up of the Ten Commandments, the commandments of God, and the faith of Jesus, and then a powerful description of the return of Jesus Christ. So just based upon the Bible, we see messages from three angels going to the whole world right before the return of Jesus. Is that what your Bible says? That's what my Bible says. And I'm reading just from a basic Bible that you should be reading from as well. Now here is a quotation I wanna share with you from volume nine of the Testimonies. And is that up there on the screen too? Okay, great. If if it's not, just give me a thumbs down over there in the back and I'll know up or down. All right, take a look at this. This is ninth volume of the Testimonies, page 19. It says, In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. God has entrusted this warning to us. On them is shining wonderful light from the Word of God, which we've seen. This is in the Bible. It's not just something that we've made up. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, which is the proclamation of the first, second, and third angels' messages. There is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. Now, I don't know if that stirs you or not, but it stirs stirs me. I've been a Seventh-day Adventist for 34 years, and what basically brought me into this message was the Bible, and backing up a little bit, somebody handed me a copy of the book Desire of Ages. I read that book and it changed my whole life. Uh, I came out of the Hollywood, North Hollywood lifestyle as a teenager, smoking marijuana, using drugs, snorting cocaine, going to the discos, just living a wild and crazy life. And then when I was 20 years old, God got a hold of me. He got a hold of my heart. He called me apart, and he brought me to the Bible. He brought me to Jesus. And as time went on, I studied prophecy, and I studied the three angels' messages. And it became so clear to me that these messages right here in the Bible must be preached to the world. And uh, the conviction just grew on me that God was calling me, Steve Wahlberg, off the dance floor, out of drugs, out of rock and roll, and into his message with a mission and a commission to share his word with as many people as possible. And that was 34 years ago, and the Lord has been so good to me. I am so thankful that I am still alive. Now, let's talk about the emerging Church. Here's a couple of books on the screen about emerging churches, becoming conversant with the emerging church. The emerging church is a very real movement within Christianity today. It is being promoted by the Roman Catholic Church. There are many uh, influential leaders, I could mention a lot of names, within the Protestant mainline churches that have also become involved with the emerging church. Uh, It has entered into Judaism. There are Jewish synagogues and congregations that are joining the emergent church movement, and it is a movement, I'm sad to say, that has definitely entered the Seventh-day Adventist church as well. And I will prove that to you in just a little bit. It is because of this that Ted Wilson, when he was first elected as president of our general conference, that during his inaugural speech, he issued a warning to Seventh-day Adventists against something called spiritual formation and the emerging church. And this is what he said. Quote, he said, stay away, from non-biblical spiritual disciplines or methods of spiritual formation that are rooted in mysticism, such as contemplative prayer, centering prayer, and the emerging church movement in which they are promoted. So here's our our president of our church uh, warning Adventists, watch out for this movement, and he said, stay away from it. This is not something that is compatible with Seventh-day, with the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, I'm going to share with you a number of facts. And I have researched these facts. Uh, I've looked at them very, very carefully. I want to make sure that my information is accurate. Uh, and it is. And so here we go. Seven facts about the emerging church. Fact number one is that the emerging church movement, which is interdenominational, has even even come into our church, is definitely not promoting the distinctive truths of the three angels' messages. The three angels' messages, uh, generally speaking, are not part of the burden and the message of the emerging church. Now, I have a number of books that I have read, and I want to put them on the screen for you if you have an interest in doing some further research on this topic and getting some straight facts. Here are two books. One of them is called Faith Undone by Roger Oakland and the other one is called A Time of Departing by Ray Yunjin. These books were published by an evangelical, sort of a watchdog organization called Lighthouse Trails. Uh, These books are very, very heavily documented with more facts than you probably need. And basically what they do, and here's a description of, of the books on the screen, they are revealing accounts of a new age spirituality that has infiltrated much of the church today. These books expose the subtle strategies to compromise the gospel message with Eastern mystical practices cloaked under evangelical terminology and wrappings. So fact number one about the emerging church, it is not preaching the distinctive truths of the three angels' messages. And facts number two to seven, which I'm gonna give you, are documented in these books very, very clearly. I don't have time to go into all the details, but I'll just give you a a quick overview. Uh, Fact number two is that the emerging church, generally speaking, minimizes the importance of doctrine. Doctrine is not that important in the emerging church. Uh, Those that are into the emerging church would like to ask questions more than they would like to get answers, more than they would like to supply answers. Uh, The whole idea of absolute truth is not something that is generally promoted among the emerging church leaders, so because It minimizes doctrine. Point number three is it tends to elevate the importance of experience. Experience. Having an experience with God apart from Scripture and sound biblical teachings. Point number four. Those involved in the emerging church usually point to the writings of Roman Catholic mystics. People like Thomas Merton, people like Henry Nouwen, these are more modern mystics. And then those that are more ancient, uh, like Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, and his spiritual disciplines, Meister Eichhardt, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, and there's a whole list of Roman Catholic mystics, some of them are referred to as the Desert Fathers way back a long time ago, and these Mystics are generally pointed to by emerging church leaders who also teach that meditative techniques can be used to gain an experience with God, to gain that experience. Things like spiritual formation, contemplative prayer, seeking the silence, where you are told to basically empty your mind in order for you to encounter God who is above thought. Things like breath prayers, repeating words and phrases, mantra style, over and over and over and over and over again, in order to uh, separate your mind from thought, in order to encounter the Lord. Here is a couple of definitions from LighthouseTrailsResearch.com. This is what they say about contemplative spirituality and spiritual formation. Contemplative spirituality is defined as, quote, a belief system that uses ancient mystical practices to induce altered states of consciousness or a period of a sense of silence and is rooted in mysticism and the occult but is often wrapped in Christian terminology. The premise of contemplative spirituality is pantheistic, which is the idea that God is all, or panantheistic, which is the the idea that God is in all. All. Common terms used for this movement are spiritual formation, the silence, the stillness, ancient wisdom, spiritual disciplines, and many others. Spiritual formation is defined as a movement that has provided a platform and a channel through which contemplative prayer is entering the Christian church. Find spiritual formation being used, and in nearly every case, you will find contemplative spirituality. In fact, contemplative spirituality is the heartbeat of the spiritual formation movement. Is that quote on the screen? So you're following me along. Okay, all right. That is basically an overview of, uh, of what spiritual form- formation and contemplative spirituality is about. Now, point number five is that the same or similar practices and techniques are being used today by full-blown people involved in the New Age movement, full-blown New Agers. And these techniques are used to contact spirit guides, to contact uh, voices on the other side, to contact apparently what people consider to be uh, ancient masters, and the list just goes on and on. Point number six is that the goal of many of these techniques techniques usually is enlightenment and the idea or the awareness that god is in everything and ultimately the ultimate goal this is where these teachings finally land they finally land in the idea that man is god himself you discover the divine within within you you discover that you are one with the universe, one with all people, and that you are actually divine yourself. And I think we all hopefully know this, that this teaching ultimately goes back to the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Isn't that right? The serpent promised Eve, he said if you eat this fruit, this forbidden fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Point number seven, is the result of these teachings, and did I get that on the screen? Do you see the meditators up there? The meditative man, got it, okay. Uh, The result of these teachings also are that human beings, whoever we are, are ultimately one with humanity as a whole and with all of the religions of the world. We are one with all people and with all religions. Are you following me so far? This is what the emerging church is all about. Now, the emerging church leaders are also teaching that we are living in what they call a postmodern age. They talk about people that that are postmoderns. Now, I need to clarify this because this is critical in understanding these issues. According to them, the modern age, which is behind us, is a time when the church was overly focused on doctrine and quote unquote absolute truth. But now we are in the postmodern age. And basically, what they're saying is that the approach of the modern age, of the church with its focus on doctrines and absolute truth, that focus really just doesn't work today. That's their idea. It's just not effective, especially in trying to reach young people, in trying to reach youth. Uh, they say that youth and postmodern people are really not looking for doctrine. They really don't want doctrine. They don't need doctrine. Uh, they are looking more for an experience. And we need to be more and more contemporary and experienced centered in order to reach this post modern generation emerging church leaders basically say we need to in order to reach the world today we've got to reinvent the church we have to try to put together a new Christianity because the old Christianity it just doesn't work here you see on the screen a number of uh, pictures of postmodern ideas, uh, there's one of them on the bottom that shows these little, little uh, clay figures giving each other a hug. And I grabbed this off the internet, so I didn't write this. And it's a description of postmodernism. It says, "Now we finally found out that we can discover truth by a group hug." That's. Uh, Somebody just basically describing this is what postmodernism is all about. Postmodernism is full of questions. It says they're not troubled by unanswered questions, lack of absolutes, uh, uncertainty, etc. It goes on and on and on. Now, let me clarify something that is very important. I do believe, and I hope you do too, that the church does need to be contemporary we need to reach people in the world that are in this world today. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, that's, that's pretty basic and pretty obvious. And I also want to clarify that we certainly do need an experience with Jesus. If we don't have an experience, then everything, if it's just in our heads, uh, is certainly not going to help us very much. But I also want to stress that if if the Biblical Christian Church, if Seventh-day Adventists especially, if we neglect doctrine, if we neglect truth, if we neglect the Ten Commandments, if we neglect to point out sin, if we neglect the Gospel, if we neglect the, the importance of purity and being called apart, being called out of the world, like Jesus said in John 17, and if we neglect the three angels' messages, in, the, in favor of a post-modern mindset, then the bottom line really is we're sunk. We are a sunk people. We are a sunk church. We will become wide open to deception and we will be deceived. And we will eventually join ourselves with Satan's greatest final deception, which is spiritualism we will get involved in spiritualism uh, and we will lose our souls this is where the devil is leading the emerging church movement now let me show you some bible verses open your bibles to second timothy chapter 3 thank you very much second timothy chapter 3 And let's take a look at a few verses and see what the Bible says. As I mentioned, this is God's book. I do not believe the Bible is irrelevant. I do not believe the Bible is out of date. The Bible is God's word for all generations. Isaiah said the word of the Lord uh, endures forever. And so does Peter. Peter says the same thing. All flesh is grass, and all of its goodness is like the flower of the, of the field. The grass will wither and the flower will fade, but the word of God endures forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word, he said, will never pass away. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible does not tell us that we are in a post-modern age. The Bible doesn't use terms like this. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.1, he said, this know also that in the last days, perilous times will come. So what time period are we in, according to Paul? We're in the last days, right? We're not in the postmodern age. We're in the last days. Paul's very clear on that. And as he describes what the last days are going to be like, notice verse 7. This is one of the characteristics of the last days. He says people will be They will be ever learning, learning lots of things, but they will be never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's a characteristic of the last days. They learn all kinds of things, but they really just can't discover the truth, the absolute truth of the Bible. This is uh, hidden, hidden from their their eyes. If you look at chapter 4, In verse 1 and 2, Paul tells ministers especially to preach the word, not the philosophies and the teachings of men. In verse 3, Paul said that the time will come. The time is coming, and I believe we're in that time. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is just uh, something that people just eventually can't put up with. They just don't want it. They will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Teachers having itching ears. They're going to gather to themselves a whole host of teachers, lots of teachers. And you know what? I need to push all these buttons. Which, what do I have on the screen there? You're doing it for me? Okay. Thank you. Do you have teachers turn to fables up there? You have that one? Okay, good. All right. Thank you. So, right, Paul, uh, Paul talks about people that have, they're going to gather all kinds of teachers, they're going to have itching ears, and look at verse 4. He says that they will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will be turned to fables. See that? So, sound doctrine is, uh, goes out the window, truth is neglected, and eventually what happens is, They get caught up in fables and in lies and in things that aren't true. Now go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Here Paul also talks about a final time period. And we are in that time. Verse 1. Now the Spirit speaks expressly. It's a very definite expression from the Holy Spirit, that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. See that? So here, uh, the Bible in first and second Timothy is describing the final days, the last days, as a time of departure from the faith, a time when people don't endure sound doctrine, a time of fables, a time ultimately of seducing spirits and doctrines, doctrines of demons. Now, here's a very, very important point. Don't miss this. And it's going to get very hot here uh, in just a few minutes. A departure from sound doctrine into an overly contemporary, experienced-based, mystical-centered, emerging church has already been tried. The experiment has already happened. It happened after the Apostles died. It happened in the second, third, and fourth centuries when the church got away from sound doctrine, got into experience, started adapting things from the surrounding culture, And that experience ultimately resulted in the emergence of a new church, an emerging church. And that church was the Roman Catholic Church and the Dark Ages and the rise of what the Bible calls the Beast of Prophecy which it is the responsibility of those who are communicating and preaching the three angels' messages to give a a warning about the beast and its image and its mark. Are you following me? That's what happened in the past. And what is happening right now in these last days, you know, the devil is not stupid. Uh, He has learned a lot by what he has done in the past. And he is gathering all of his information, all of his skill, all of his science, all of the history that has gone on before to put together one final deception for humanity at the end of time. And in the last days, the emerging church movement is here again. It's a little bit different, a little bit different, You know, obviously different names, different leaders, but the basic principles are the same. The basic principles. And the emerging church has emerged into the Christian world, big time. Into the Protestant churches. uh, Into even Jewish congregations. And as I've said before, and I'm about to show you some very, very shocking information, that the emerging church has definitely come in to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, are you really ready for what I'm about to share with you? Uh, yeah, I'm glad I'm here at Southern because I, I have a belief and I, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming I'm right that I am here among friends, conservative friends. If I, would, if I gave this talk in some other circles, I might not get out alive. Uh, if my job was at stake, and my employers were sitting in the audience, I don't know if I would keep my job. I don't know. Uh, The slides that I'm gonna put on the screen for the next 20 minutes are painful for me to do. I wanna make that clear. This is not something that I enjoy doing, and as I have looked at this information, uh, my head has just been spinning around and around and around. I am just shocked by what I've learned and what I see and what uh, you are also about to learn. I think it will be very shocking, shocking to you. So here we go, we've got a lot of slides and I'll have to push both buttons. Here is a feature news story, February 3rd, 2004 from the Adventist News Network, this is ANN. The title is called Church Congregations Increased Focus on Spiritual Formation came out of Silver Spring, Maryland, and the article there says that spiritual formation is a topic being raised by many pastors and church leaders in a growing number of Christian denominations, and we certainly know that to be true. And then it says it's no longer enough just to know doctrine and facts. In today's hectic society, people are searching for something deeper and more meaningful something that makes sense in their whirlwind lives. For the Seventh-day Adventist Church, a wake-up call was sounded after a 2002 survey showing that though doctrinal understanding was high, there were several areas of concern. And the concerns were that, that uh, those surveyed generally did not seem to have an experience with the Lord that they really needed. And so this article's basically saying That uh, in the Adventist church, we have doctrines, but we're short on experience. And then they say that spiritual formation uh, is something that's being discussed out there in the other churches. And the basic point of the article is that that's what we as Seventh-day Adventists need as well. Now, here is the end of the article. Listen to this. It says, at the very end, it says, The Adventist World Church has created an international board of ministerial and theological education in September of 2001, which is the same month that the Twin Towers went down in New York. The same month, it says that this this, uh, international board is designed to provide overall guidance and standards to the professional training of pastors, evangelists, theologians, teachers, chaplains, and other denominational employees involved in ministerial and religious formation or spiritual formation in each of the church's 13 regions around the world. Is that quote there on the screen? You've got it there? All right, look at that. This is basically saying that here we have an initiative to try to bring spiritual formation to the global Seventh-day Adventist church to try to help us to have an experience because we're short on experience and we are heavy on doctrine. This is the website of Lighthouse Trails. This article came out in 2009, a number of years later. And basically what's happening is, and these are not Seventh-day Adventists, these are evangelicals that are watching what's happening with the emerging church movement. And they wrote this article basically telling, uh, telling the world that spiritual formation has entered the Seventh-day Adventist church as well. There's the title of the article, Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary. It's talking about Andrews, integrates contemplative and emerging spirituality into its degree program. Now here are non-Adventists looking at what's happening in the church and they're sounding a warning. That's what they're doing, they're sounding a warning. Now, this is just gonna shock you and this was brought out in the article. Here is a, a uh, brochure out of Andrews. This was a number of years ago, announcing a new Doctor of Ministry concentration called Discipleship and Spiritual Formation. Now, I went to the seminary. Uh, I left in 1985. And when I was there, from 83 to 85, none of this was taught. But it came in after I left. And if I would have been there during this time, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done, but notice this. This is just absolutely incredible. In in that brochure, under course requirements, this is required reading for those that are going through this program, are a number of books that must be read. And here are highlighted on the screen here. There's uh, two here and two in the next slide. One of them is by John Dibdahl called Hunger, Satisfying the Longing of the Soul. The second one is by Peter scazzero called Emotionally Healing Spirituality. Here's two more books that are required. J.P. Moreland's Kingdom Triangle, published by Zonderman, and the last one that's highlighted is Richard Foster's Streams of Living Waters. Streams of Living Water. Now the, and then at the last one is Steps to Christ. Uh, I certainly promote the last one. But if you look at these four books that are required, or at least were required reading at Andrews, let me just show you briefly what these books are about. You've got John Dibdahl's book there on the screen? All right. Uh, Here is his book called The Hunger, which is sold in our ABCs. It says contemplative spirituality is strongly presented in his 2008 book, Hunger, Satisfying the Longing of the Soul, where Dibdahl favorably instructs on contemplative practices such as the Lectio Divina, visualization, which is on page 64, the Jesus prayer, and breath prayers, page 52. Hunger is brimming with references to contemplative mystics like David Benner, Morton Kelsley, Adele, or Adelie Alberg Calhoun, Tilden Edwards, Richard Foster, Ken Boa, and Brother Lawrence. There are many books that are referenced in Dr. Dibdahl's books that are going right back to these mystics, these contemplative mystics. Now that's just the first one. Here's another second one, Peter Scazzaro. His book, Emotionally Healing or Healthy Spirituality, is a who's who of contemplative mystics and -panentheists, panentheists. Some of those he points Readers, to are Basil Pennington, Tilden Edwards, Henry Nowen, Meister Eckhart, Teresa of Avila, and several others. So that's the second book. Here is another one. J.P. Morgan's book I showed you was highlighted. His book, Kingdom Triangle, used in Dibdahl's class at Andrews, explains maturity through spiritual formation. Moreland tells readers that a treasure of deep, rich knowledge of the soul is in the writings of the Desert Fathers. Henry Nowen and Richard Foster, that's on page 153, each of whom points followers to Eastern style meditation, mantra style. During a series of Moreland, that Moreland did for Focus on the Family, Moreland says that Catholic retreat centers are usually ideal for solitude retreats. These are, this is a book that is on the required reading list or at least was at our seminary. Richard Foster, but get, the, get Richard Foster up there? Okay, thank you. Uh, he says in his book, Streams of Living Water, that deep within us all, there is an amazing inner sanctuary of the soul, a holy place, a divine center. Does any of that bother you? It bothers me. And it bothers a lot of people. It bothers a lot of people. Now, it's going to get worse. Let's, uh, let's keep going. Here is a picture of... Brian McLaren. How many of you have heard of Brian McLaren? Some of you have. He is at the forefront of the emerging church movement. He's not a Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, Here's a picture of his book, A Generous Orthodoxy. And if you can see underneath his picture on the book, there's a a list of things. And I've shown you what it says on the side there so it's easier to read. This is what's on the front cover of, of Brian's book. Why I am a missional, evangelical, post- Protestant, liberal, conservative, mystical, poetic, biblical, charismatic, contemplative, fundamentalist, Calvinist, Anabaptist, Anglican, Methodist, Catholic, green, incarnational, depressed, get hopeful, emergent, unfinished Christian. A confession and manifesto from a senior leader in the emerging church movement. Now that's his uh, description at the beginning, at the, on the cover of the book, of, of what he is. He's a blend of a whole host of things, obviously. And as he mentions there, uh, you know, he's sometimes uh, depressed, and he's not finished, and he's, he's on a road trying to figure things out. Trying to figure things out. Now, here's another statement that is inside of his book. This is page 62. He said, I discovered, he talks about first about his growing up in a conservative Christian home. But at some point in his life, he says, I discovered other Roman Catholic writers. 20th century writers such as Flannery O'Connor, Thomas Merton, Henry Nowen, Romano Gardini, and Gabriel Marcel, as well as the medieval mystics and others. So here, Brian is saying that you know, in my search to try to understand more, I have discovered the Catholic mystics. And that is in his book right there, A General Orthodoxy, and he has written many, many books. Now, it's going to get even worse. Uh, here is his website, which I took a screen capture of two days ago. This is, you can see the date under Brian's blog, He pastors a church, and it says October 10, 2013. Two days ago, this was on the front of his blog, on his website. The article there is called Taking the Bible Literally, which he has a problem with. And then it says, Input from Augustine. So his article there is pointing back to Augustine, who was one of the major fathers of the Roman Catholic Church, And he's looking to Augustine to provide insight into the Bible. Which simply, you know, demonstrates his own statement in a generous orthodoxy. Where he says that I discovered the writings of the Roman Catholic mystics and Catholic fathers. Now, let's keep going. His book, Here's one of his books, The Church on the Other Side, is offered on Advent Source for Seventh-day Adventists to read. Do you think that this is, a, that this is safe material to be recommended to our, to our people? Now let's keep going. And this is where it's going to get really right here to home. I imagine most of you are familiar with the Third Way Conference. How many of you are familiar with this? The Third Way Conference took place not too far from here, right in this area, about a month ago, September 6-8, to 8th, 2013, at the Sheraton Reed House Hotel in Chattanooga, Tennessee. This uh, conference was sponsored by Spectrum, Spectrum Magazine. It's called The Third Way. It says on the top there, Adventists, like most Christians, have been good at one of two extremes. One extreme is conserving a strong identity and belief system while projecting a triumphant demeanor toward others. That certainly is, you know, we want to preserve our distinctiveness, but we don't want to to be proud. We don't want to project a uh, triumphant demeanor toward others. So that's one extreme, it says. And the other one is liberally minimizing distinctive beliefs to allow an accepting attitude toward others. That's the second extreme. And the conference claims to provide a third way a better way, and I would say that the true third way is to maintain our strong identity and our belief system and yet to be humble and to do it in a loving way. That really is the biblical third way, speaking the truth in love. That's the way Paul said it. Now there you can see there that Brian McLaren, was. this was just a month ago, was one of the key speakers and so was a Seventh-day Adventist, minister named Samir Salmanovic. Now Samir, uh, it's amazing some of the things that he has gotten himself into. Here is an article from a Baptist website about Samir, called Apprising Ministries, Awakening to the Light of Scripture. It says here, emerging church leader, Samir Selmanovic worships with witches. And what they did was they went on, they, they researched him. They're again blowing the whistle on what is happening within the Adventist church. And his, a number of his tweets from his, his church, Faith House Manhattan, are, have been found and are being posted. And here they are. These are his own tweets. Faith House Manhattan hosted a series about the other. Our wonderful guests this Wednesday are the Wiccan community. Next one, at Faith House Living Room celebrating. We are here celebrating, uh, how do you ever say it, Samhain, I think that's the way the Wiccans pronounce it, with a wonderful Wiccan community. The next one, this is the night when the veil between the world is at the thinnest. Talking about Halloween. Spirit walks our world and we walk the other world. So now these are tweets from the man that was brought here to speak to your young people at this conference that was a month ago not too far from here. Do you see any cause for alarm? You know, we, we don't want to judge people. It's not my work to judge or to, uh, you know, decide destinies or examine motives, but we still need to look at facts and we need to look at things that are going on and we need to be aware and we need to avoid the things that God tells us about are dangerous. Now here's a picture of Leonard Sweet, emerging church leaders. Leonard Sweet, he's one of the most well-known emerging church leaders in the world, along with Brian McLaren. He has a book, or at least it's an older book, he's written many books called Quantum Spirituality. Do you have that quote on there? We up there? Good. Okay, this is from his book, page 76 and 147. In the words of one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, Jesuit philosopher of religion and dogmatist Carl Rayner, the Christian of tomorrow will be a mystic. One who has experienced something, or he will be nothing. That's what Leonard Sweet said. Here's another quote, page 147. The power of small groups is in their ability to develop the the discipline to get people in phase with the Christ consciousness and connected with one another. Uh, Leonard Sweet is is teaching full-blown New Age teachings that are also mixed with Christianity. He's got a blend of all kinds of different teachings in his books. He has been, and I'm not sure if he still is today, but uh, in the the very uh, near past, he was a professor at George Fox University. Here's a picture of George Fox on the screen. You got that? Okay, now, next slide. You know, and I hate to do this. I really do. I don't enjoy this. But I just feel like it needs to be done. Here is a picture of the website of the One Project, which is a coalition of uh, of various leaders within the Seventh-day Adventist Church right now, especially that are focused on youth ministry. And there you see their website, Jesus All is their their motto, celebrating the supremacy of Jesus in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And let me say, I I certainly want Jesus to be all in my life. That's for sure. But I I want it to be the Bible Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul warned about those that that may accept another Jesus and another spirit and another gospel. There's all kinds of quote-unquote Jesuses in this world. And if we want Jesus to be all in all, which we do want, we do want, we want to make sure that that Jesus is the Bible Jesus. It's the Jesus who gave us the book of Revelation. It's the Jesus who gave us the three angels' messages. It's the Jesus who's coming soon. Again, it's the Jesus who tells us that this is the word of God and that we need to follow that word. That is the Jesus that we need. Now, here is a picture of those that are on the board of The One Project. There you see Alex Bryan, Chairman, President. And these are the ones that are highlighted. There are many members on their board. Tim Gillespie, uh, who's at the Loma Linda University of Health, and you see Sam Lenore, University Chaplain at La Sierra. You see Terry Swenson, University Chaplain at Loma Linda University. These are all board members of The One Project. Now here's Something that's significant to know, without judging anybody, the fact is that all of these men have gone to George Fox University, and they've all received doctorates under Leonard Sweet. Next slide. Here is the One Project's website showing their next major event, which is Seattle 2014, which is coming next year. And if you look on the bottom, who's one of the major speakers? It's Leonard Sweet, that's right, Leonard Sweet, along with, along with others. Now here are some more pictures. Here's Alex Bryan, who is now the uh, president of Kettering College. There he is at a retreat with Leonard Sweet. Here is another picture of Alex Bryan's recommended books. The middle there is A Generous, Generous Orthodoxy by Brian McLaren. Here's another one. Tim Gillespie, Loma Linda University Church, Sam Lenore, Chaplin, La Sierra. They are both pictured with Leonard at one of his spiritual retreats. Here is Advent Source promoting Leonard Sweet's book, Aqua Church, recommending this to young people. Leonard Sweet has been for many years involved with the Ohio Conference. He has been teaching the pastors in the Ohio Conference. I was there with Philip Saman. Does that name ring a bell? And Philip and I were at a uh, regional camp meeting in Ohio not long ago, standing shoulder to shoulder, teaching the Bible along with others. And I was told in that conference by somebody that the pastors of the Ohio Conference were all forbidden to attend this camp meeting. They could not go. And see, they've been trained under Leonard Sweet including the conference president. Here's another slide. Ryan Bell, I don't know if you've heard of Ryan Bell or not, but Ryan uh, used to be the pastor of the Hollywood Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is right over the hill from where I grew up. And there is his website and his blog. There's his picture. And he says, I picked up Finding Our Way Again, The Return of the Ancient Practices by Brian McLaren. This is the first in a series of Thomas Nelson called The Ancient Practices Series. And Ryan is part of this community and he's reading these books. Here is a picture of a statue. And this is on, you can see on the top, this is Ryan Bell's website. Do you have that picture of the statue on there? Okay, it says here, Ryan says, Pastor Ryan, I spent two days this week at the Benedictine Monastery, St. Andrew's Abbey in California. I was so hungry for solitude and silence, so I went out into the desert to be alone, to be silent and to listen. For nearly 1,500 years, monks have lived by the rule of St. Benedict. So here he's going to a Catholic monastery. This is a Seventh-day Adventist pastor going to a Catholic monastery. Reading the books of Brian McLaren, learning from Sidney Sweet, or uh, Leonard Sweet. Now here's another picture where he was at a, this is his blog, and he was reflecting on a meeting that he had with Brian McLaren a number of years ago. And this is what Pastor Bell said. On one occasion, a small group of Adventist church leaders met with Brian McLaren at his church in Maryland to talk about eschatology and the future of Adventism. Brian said to the five or so of us, he said, I really hope you guys will stay Adventists. The body of Christ needs you to stay there and be a force of change within your group. So here's Brian McLaren telling Pastor Bell to stay inside the church and try to change the church. Does that does that bother you? Yes. I, I tell you, you know, this is just uh, shocking information. Well, let me back up. Stay on that on that slide. We don't want to go to the last slide yet or second here. Uh, you need to know that the Southern California Conference recently let him go as a pastor, for a variety of reasons. But he was just so far off the deep end that they decided to let him go, but he still teaches at La Sierra. He's still one of our teachers there. Now, here is a picture of resources. Do you have the roots of the Emerging Church? Here are, here is, if, if you wanna learn more, I'm getting down near the end of my talk. Real roots of the Emerging Church. You can go on YouTube, and type in the real roots of the emerging church, and you can watch this two-hour documentary that gives you a whole host of the history behind this movement. If you want to get some of the facts, you can do your homework there. Now, here is another slide of a documentary that is coming out soon that's going to blow the whistle. This is hosted by Aaron Muth. It's called The Shaking. You see pictures there of John Bradshaw, Jay Gallimore, Doug Batchelor, Herb Douglas, Howard Peth, Rick Howard, Derek Morris. They will be featured in this documentary and they are going to be exposing the emerging church movement within the Seventh-day Adventist church. And this will be out in a few months. Uh, just to let you know briefly, Whitehorse Media also has many resources dealing with the end times. We have a brand new DVD that should be out in a couple of weeks called Earth's Final Crisis, What You Must Know to Survive. Things that we need to know to get ready for Earth's final crisis. That is coming. The next one, uh, we have a t-shirt. You can tell we don't believe in postmodernism where there's no absolutes. We have a t-shirt that'll be out soon. The seventh day is the Sabbath with the Ten Commandments. I like wearing these Ten Commandment shirts when I travel in airports. People look as I walk down the aisle and they look at my t-shirts with the Ten Commandments. And I tell you, it's a pretty straightforward witness. I have a lot of interesting conversations with people. Now, I just want to mention this book, although it has nothing to do with this topic, Sprout Power. We also at Whitehorse Media believe in in the health message and the importance of eating live food and getting a lot of nutrients in your body. And that book just came out three days ago, so I just wanted to let you know we've got it in our booth this evening. I'm a strong believer in healthy living. And this is what I'm going to talk about this afternoon. This book called God's Last Message, Christ Our Righteousness. This morning I'm showing what's wrong, and in the afternoon I'm going to show what we need and what's right. So that's what's coming this afternoon, God's Last Message, Christ Our Righteousness. It's uh, one of my favorite books and I'll be explaining it. We're also planning on doing a documentary in the next couple of months on the film Seventh Gay Adventist, and we're going to be talking about homosexuality and the Bible and trying to reach the homosexual community and yet not compromising what the Bible says. All right, I can see my time is almost up. I've got to go through a few more slides with you about John Harvey Kellogg and then about Canwright and then one verse and then I'm done. If you see a picture there of John Harvey Kellogg, Something similar happened in our church about a hundred years ago when John Harvey Kellogg became infected with mysticism and pantheism and he put his ideas into a book called The Living Temple. Have you heard of this? This was over a hundred years ago. Seventh-day Adventists were reading this book and a crisis was growing within our church. Now here is what Ellen White had to say about this. Quote, she said in 1st Selected Messages 202, Ellen White said, We do not need the mysticism that is in that book. Got it? Those who entertain these sophistries will soon find themselves in a position where the enemy can talk with them and lead them away from God. It is represented to me that the writer of this book is on a false track. He has lost sight of the distinguishing truths for this time. He knows not whether his steps are tending. And I think that's true of the group of people uh, in the one project and other places. You know, people that we need to pray for. People that probably some of you know. People that, that uh, God loves. But they don't know where they're, where they're going. They don't know where their steps are leading. The track of truth lies close beside the track of error. And both tracks may seem to be one to minds who are not worked by the Holy Spirit and which therefore are not quick to discern the difference between truth and error. We need to be reading this counsel. This is counsel that the Lord has given us. Here's another quote from page 204. Do you have that on the screen, the big one? All right, it says, look at this. The enemy of souls has sought to bring in the supposition that a great reformation needs to take place among Seventh-day Adventists, and that this reformation would consist in giving up our doctrines, which stand as the pillars of our faith, and engaging in a process of reorganization. Were this reformation to take place, what would be the result? This was in the context of living temple and pantheism. She says, if these ideas, these mystical ideas, are gonna get into the Adventist church, you know what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? This is it. She says, the principles of truth that God and his wisdom has given to the remnant church would be discarded. Our religion would be changed. The fundamental principles that have sustained the work for the last 50 years would be accounted as an error. A, system of inter- a new organization would be established. Books of a new order would be written. A system of intellectual philosophy would be introduced. Going down, it says nothing would be allowed to stand in the way of the new movement. And at the end there, it says their foundation would be built on sand, and storm and tempest would eventually sweep away the structure. All right, I want to finish with some comments about Canright. Are you familiar with, with uh D.M. Canwright. He was a Seventh-day Adventist minister in the 1800s. He eventually decided Adventism was not for me. And he left our church. He wrote a book called Seventh-day Adventism Renounced. Now here is a, you can read this in Second Selected Messages, page 162 to 1—that one, should be 164, where Ellen White wrote Canwright a letter. It's a very touching letter. I've read it recently. And she says, I was made sad to hear of your decision. But I have had reason to expect it. It is a time when God is testing and proving his people. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Only those who sta- will stand, whose souls are riveted to the eternal rock. Ellen White loved Kenwright. She wanted to save him for the cause. She pleaded with him. But eventually, he made his final decision. And then she says, now look at this. Look at what she wrote to him. She said... But if you have decided to cut all connection with us as a people, I have one request to make of you. For your own sake, and as well as for Christ's sake, keep away from our people. Do not visit them and talk your doubts and darkness among them. I don't know who's going to be listening to this talk on audio verse, but I want to say to all of those that do, and to those that are involved in the Emerging Church Movement, and to those whose names that I have uh, with difficulty mentioned without pleasure, I want to say that our goal, my goal, and the goal of of Seventh-day Adventists is for you to stay with us and to be with us inside the New Jerusalem. Jesus loves you, and we want you to be with us in eternity. But, as Ellen White said... If you finally make a choice that the Seventh-day Adventist message according to the Bible and the three angels' messages and the spirit of prophecy is not a message that you really believe in anymore, and you really don't want it, in the words of Ellen White, I have one request to make. For your own sake, as well as for Christ's sake, keep away from our people. If those that are involved in the emerging church are committed to this and there's no stopping them, then I urge you to please leave our church. Please. Now again, we want you with us, but if you're committed to this course, don't stay inside the church and infect others because God will hold you accountable for that and you don't want it's just, to... It's just the wrong thing to do. Last quote, John chapter 8, verse 32. John 8.32, you see it on the screen. Do you have the verse up there on the screen? John 8.32, Jesus said, and you shall know the what? The The truth. That's right. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In the emerging church, they say, if you have an experience, then you'll hopefully find the truth. But the Bible says that if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. It will give you that experience with God. That's the experience we need. The truth is in the Bible. The truth is in the three angels' messages. The truth is ultimately in Jesus Christ and in the gospel and in his suffering and his death for all of us on the cross and in his resurrection and in his ascension and his coming back again for a purified people who are prepared for heaven. This is the truth that we need, the love of Jesus Christ. And may God help us. May God help me. May he help you. May he help all of us to stand for Bible truth in these last days. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear God, Father, I've said a lot of things this morning, and I pray that you will take everything that I've said and that you will anoint it with your touch. If I have misspoken in any way, Lord, forgive me. Uh, And if things need to be said stronger that I didn't do, Lord, forgive me, Uh, help Your people, help us all to realize what's going on within your church and help us to take a stand for what's right. Though the heavens fall, help us not to be shaken out, but to be ready for Jesus' coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This presentation is concerned with spiritual and theological issues that pertain to the message and mission of the church without negative personal intent to the individuals mentioned. The speaker is solely responsible for the content of this presentation. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www. Dot audioverse.org.